0: Jesus, we just ask the Lord that your, your word would speak to our hearts, God, that you would bring us freedom, that you would bring us um, peace. And Lord, for those in here who need jobs, God, I pray you would have the perfect job revealed to them at the perfect time. Uh, Lord, because we don't have to strive as your children, Lord. We don't have to try to earn your blessings, God. We just love you because of what you've done for us. And, and Lord, we want to understand and know the deep things that your word would want to teach us tonight lord i pray that there's if there's something in our hearts lord that's that we are distracted by or that is is consuming our attention lord we want to release that to you right now and lord we ask that you would give us clarity so that your word can be understood uh, lord these are not uh, just words on a page this is your very Life breathed onto paper and, and we want it to be spiritually understood by us in our soul in our heart not just in our mind so even if we can understand the things in our brain God I pray that it would impact our hearts tonight I ask you for that I beg you for that Lord we don't want this to be just another Wednesday night Bible study we want it to change our lives in a wonderful way. We want to just have a new experience with you that we'll remember forever. And God just in, in our time our trials in the future, God, we can remember the things that we learned tonight, and they will be um, strength for us. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So last week we looked at one whole verse. And that verse was Galatians five, one. And it said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty of by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So last week we learned that God desires to liberate lives, to set them free. and that's where, that's what He has done, and it's our job to walk in that. And, uh, and the, the second real lesson that we touched on last week was that God's yoke is light. Man's yoke is heavy. God's yoke. Jesus said, he said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And man's yoke, the law, the burden of you need to make sure you keep all these rules and follow all these rules to be accepted. That is man's yoke. And it's heavy. It's burdensome. It's entangling. It is just all kinds of badness wrapped up in a boat. That is the law. That is man's way. And it's heavy. It's heavy. So we looked at that last week, and tonight we're going to look at the danger of falling from grace. The absolute danger of falling from grace. Everyone likes a good danger movie. Everyone likes a good uh, thriller. And uh, this is maybe a thriller that we wouldn't want to get involved with, the, the, the danger of falling from grace. We don't have to live this uh, dangerous type lifestyle. We can live in a safe lifestyle with the Lord. And it doesn't mean that the world around us isn't going crazy, but it means that our relationship with the Lord can be so strong and we can trust and rest in Him so much that no matter what is going on around us, we are at peace and we have confidence in where we're at. So, again, verse 1, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. It's saying, stand fast in that grace of God, we cannot go back to the law. Uh, this is after coming to know God. You know, there's a diff- uh, this is a, a different kind of bondage than the bondage of someone who um, doesn't know God. You know, the, the bondage of people who are, are lost in the world, that's a bondage to sin. And, and that's, you know, we understand that bondage. We, most of us in this room, probably all of us in this room, know Jesus. And so we know that you guys have been set free from that bondage. This is a different kind of bondage. This is a bondage that comes after you know the Lord. And it's a bondage that is so sneaky. It comes in and it it deceives us uh, into falling away from the simple trust that we're we're remembering. Uh, These religious rules that we tend to put ourselves under, they choke out real spiritual life. And we've looked at that really in depth as we've gone through this book. But some of you have never been with us as we've been going through this book. So a real key that we've seen in Galatians is that legalism or trying to please God based on your performance, legalism actually chokes out spiritual life. Legalism is a sorry attempt to be spiritual instead of what God wants us to be which is truly spiritual spiritually alive human beings. And so these religious rules just choke that out. And But we are free not to follow these rules. We have become free, like this verse says, to just be a loved child of God and contrast that, or instead of, a religious striver. A religious striver. Now, I, just honestly, can you think about times in your life where you just got so tired Spiritually? You just thought, man, I have been trying so hard and I'm not making any progress. Or I feel like God's not speaking to me. Or I feel like God's not pleased with me. Or I've been struggling with this sin and I can't have victory over it. That striving is what we've been freed from. That striving. And we're going to see a little bit about how that happens as we go into this really practical section of Galatians chapter 5. So look at verses 2 through 4. It says, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. Let me say that phrase again. Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become Estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. He says, "If you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing." We've looked. We we did a whole Bible study on on circumcision when he addressed that earlier, and he really attacked that. And we we looked a little bit at this, but just to summarize, he's saying if you add the necessity of anything on top of Jesus, you are actually renouncing the benefits of grace. If you try to add anything to the work that Jesus did on the cross, you are forsaking the work that he did on the cross. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Either Jesus did everything and he was telling the truth when he said it is finished or he didn't and he's a liar and you guys should all go find another church or maybe not even go to church maybe just worship science or something because it's it's worthless either Jesus did it all or he didn't and this is where we get tripped up this is where Christians in general find the struggle is they get this legalistic idea that, oh, but I can I can do something. I can do it. I got something in me that I can add to Jesus. But Paul says here, guys, if you get circumcised, so they, he's talking to people who aren't circumcised, okay? He's talking to people who were pagans. They were worshiping Satan, basically, dancing around fires and killing people. This was their... They had a crazy religious and life. And then they come to know Jesus and then these people come in and they say, well, you know, the really holy thing to do is to be circumcised. And Paul says, if you try to earn or to prove your goodness by circumcision, you are renouncing Jesus, basically. You're saying, Jesus wasn't good enough. And he says here, Christ will profit you nothing. And then he says, I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised. He's a debtor to keep the whole law. I want to focus on that word profit. What does Christ profit you? Two fellows decided to go into the produce business. They had a pickup truck and they drove 100 miles into the country and bought watermelons for 50 cents each. And then they drove back to town And sold them two for a dollar. And at the end of the day, they had just as much money as when they started. And one hollered to the other, I told you we wouldn't make any profit unless we got a bigger truck. And that's kind of, well, it's just a joke. But Jesus does profit us. You know, we're not, I'm not talking about a different way to do church or a different way to do Christianity, this grace thing. And I'm not, there's not like churches that are legalistic and churches that are less legalistic. There's true followers of Jesus and people who are not. That's what it is. And I'll be really firm on that. Grace is what it's all about. And if it's not about grace, you are renouncing the work that Jesus did. So what profit is there in following Jesus? Well, if you follow Jesus, it's very profitable, and I'm going to show you. Turn to the book of Ephesians, if you would. This is one book to the right. You know, these, these little letters Paul wrote are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I always remember that by the, that, the giants eat peas and carrots. That's a, that's a good way to do it. So giants is where we're at now, eat, Ephesians, okay, So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. The riches of his grace. So his grace is described as riches. Riches. Well, that's pretty profitable, right? Verse 18 in chapter 1. We're going to cruise through Ephesians. I'm going to point out some of these verses to you. Verse 18 of chapter 1. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So his grace is, is described as riches. And then it says his glory in the, of the inheritance that you guys are going to get is described as riches. Now go to chapter 2, verse 7. Chapter two, verse seven says that in the ages to come, he might show us the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So you see, Paul, as he's writing his letter of Ephesians, he's getting more and more pumped up about how awesome God's riches are. And he says, first, it's the riches of his grace. And then, man, it's the riches, not only his grace, but his glory, And all the inheritance that you're going to get. And then get the exceeding riches of his grace towards us. And look what it says in that verse, actually, that in the ages to come, what does that mean? All of heaven, all the billions of years you're going to be in heaven, all the time that you're going to be spending with God. What is he going to be doing? All he's going to be doing is showing us the exceeding riches of his grace. And yet we think somehow that grace doesn't profit us as much as legalism we have to start to see the wide gap, the, the absolute necessity of grace and the necessity of turning away from legalism. So, the exceeding riches of grace. Now look at Ephesians 3.8. To him, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ unsearchable now. He went from exceeding to now he's just unsearchable. I can't even, you'll never be able to understand how gracious God is or the amount of resources God has given you in his grace described as riches. You'll never be able to understand. You'll never run out of resources. And that's why when someone says, I burned out from following God, I'm like, you haven't been following God. You've been trying. There is no burnout with Jesus because the resources are unlimited with Jesus. If you have struggled with burnout and people have this term of burnout in the ministry, it is clearly from you've been drawing from the wrong well. You've been reaching from the wrong resources. You've been looking inside instead of up towards Jesus. So, they're unsearchable riches of Christ. Then look at verse 16 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. What an amazing verse if you're struggling with burnout or giving up. You mean, I don't have to try to figure my way out of this? I don't have to try to work harder? No, you just get granted, that means given, resources according to the riches of His glory. So is there profit in grace? Man, there's so much profit in grace. Grace is very profitable. And what does that strength do? What does that granting, what does that gift that we would be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Man, that's what I want. That's what I want my life to look like. Don't you guys? Man, I want it to be there. I want every day to be strengthened and be mighty. I want to be a. I want to have that. Well, now, look with me in Romans chapter two, verse four. As we're looking at this, this is. This topic of riches and what, uh, what God says about the, what riches are just really struck me this week. So chapter 2 of Romans, verse 4. It says, or, or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? we'll let those police pass by (laughs) so his goodness and his forbearance and his long suffering here are three descriptions of these riches these riches that are freely given to us freely given to us are described as goodness forbearance and long suffering doesn't it feel great when someone is good to you or or Long-suffering with you, or has forbearance with you, man. Those are wonderful things. Wonderful ways to describe His grace and His His riches. Look at Philippians chapter four, verse nineteen. Back in that Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. There's only two more verses that we're going to look at with this section, so we're almost there. Philippians chapter four, verse nineteen. My, and my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Are you guys noticing a trend in the Bible? That God says, I will give you everything that you need. I will give it to you. You don't have to earn it. And when you find yourself trying And failing, it's just a simple sign that you need to come back to me and I'll give it to you again. I will give you victory. I will give you all your need. I will supply all your need. How much more clear can the Lord be? I will supply most of your need. But you really need to make sure you don't do drugs. Or you don't drink. or All these different rules. Now we're going to talk a little bit about why a Christian looks the way they do. In a, in a minute. But the rules and trying to keep the rules to prove yourself to God does not work. God supplies everything that we need. Now look at that verse is a great verse because it said He will supply all your need. We don't need to be begging for anything. He has promised to supply all your needs. He has promised to supply all your needs. Your needs. Isn't it funny when you turn on certain TV networks? TBN and all the rest. Not Grace TV. If you listen to that one, you're not going to see this. But it's funny because you'll turn it on and sometimes you'll be flipping through and all of a sudden you're like, was that guy working out or is that some sort of weightlifting competition? No, no, that's a pastor. Well, he's sweating like Crazy. And it it looks like he is just trying and he is just trying to get every single little bit of ounce of his effort into getting you to give every single ounce of your money to him. And it's the perfect picture of the opposite of this verse. Instead of God shall supply all your needs in Christ Jesus, he's saying, I need your help. God needs your money. And it's, it is heresy. It is awful. If you threw your brick through your TV, I would not blame you. Because Jesus probably does too. <laughs> he probably would do that too. You know, we don't need to beg for anything. And in, this, in our church, we never, ever ask for money. Ever. And that's a big deal. We have never once portrayed that we need money. And you know what? We have been well taken care of. God has supplied everything that we have ever needed, including crazy big vision things that we've been able to be a part of and are going to be a part of in the very near future, too. But, like, having a radio station, like, that is crazy what God has done with us. And He has supplied every single cent... But it's not just in those big things, it's also in the things in our life. Colossians two two. Giants eat peas and carrots. Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. The last one there. Colossians two two says that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches. A full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Paul wants you to understand, and through his four letters that we just, five letters that we just looked at, he has a clear message. God's riches are available to you, and you need to understand that. He prayed for them that their hearts would be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding. He wants you to know for a fact that these riches are available to you. And if there's one thing you get from tonight, I hope it's this. Grace and the resources that are available through grace and trust in the Lord never run out. They always are available to you. And you will never find the bottom of the barrel and be like, oh, I've trusted God all these years. And at this very important struggle or time in my life, he's, he's let me go and he didn't provide everything I could possibly need. It will never happen. Grace works. We have to always do that. Now, check this out. Patrick Henry said, I have now disposed all of my property to my family and there's one more thing I wish that I could give them and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that, one, if they had that, and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have been rich. And if they would not have that, I would have given them all the world, and they would be poor indeed. I like that quote. So, one more verse in Romans, chapter 10, verse 12. I'll just read it to you. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to all who call upon him. There is no fundraising in Christianity. And it's funny when we see them and it looks like they're working like crazy, trying so hard to pry every last dollar out of people. God wants to lower his funds out of heaven. He is rich to all who call on him. So what does it mean? How do we tap into these resources? Well, it says in Romans 10 here, call upon his name. Anyone who calls upon His name will will be able to have access to those riches. Call upon His name. Be faithful, full of faith. Luke sixteen eleven says, "Therefore, if you had uh, if you have not been faithful in the in the unrighteous mammon, who would commit to your trust the true riches?" The true riches. And Jesus is having a conversation there about money and people's trust in money and trust in being rich and wealth. And, ri- and he said, Listen, if you relate to God with faith, faithfulness, calling to him, asking him, trusting him, you are going to find true riches are going to be given to you, entrusted to you. True riches. So, back in Galatians chapter 5, and we were in verse 3, and he says, And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You know, if you choose to live by the law, you are bound to keep it. James 2.10 is a cross-reference here, and it says, For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all of it. So you don't have to break every law to be a lawbreaker you don't have to kill everyone you meet to be a murderer you just have to kill one right and then you are labeled and branded a murderer for the rest of your life so a lawbreaker so he says if you want to go with the law understand that it's all or nothing it's either all the law and you have to keep it perfectly every day of your life or you go to hell or you call on my name And believe in what I did. He says there, you have become estranged from Christ. I was really interested when I was studying, what does that word estranged mean? So I looked up the definition. Uh, So there's two here. Definition A says, to cause a person or thing to have no further efficiency. And B, to deprive of force, influence, or power. And here's the thing. Anyone who relies on their own performance, they have plunged from the heights of grace down to the lonely depths of the law. The the wonderful resources of grace to the resourceless law. But here, I don't think he's saying that they've lost their salvation. And why do I say that? It's because he addresses them as brethren nine times in this book. Brethren. He says, you I ran well. He's, he's described so many times. He says, you guys have done this. You were believers. But if you keep thinking this way, you will develop, and gr- that you're trying to develop and grow your Christian life by the, your performance to the law. If you keep thinking that way, you are on a religious detour that will never bring any true fruit or freedom to your life. Which is crazy that definition of being estranged from Christ, Jesus has lost his efficiency. He's lost his force or influence or power in your life. And whether that means you lose your salvation or not, I mean, that's we can debate that. You didn't lose your salvation, but man, you've lost the power anyway. It's not in a safe place to be. It's really not a safe place to be. So, verse 5. And verse 6, he says, For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So here he says, by the Spirit, we can eagerly wait. And it's an oxymoron. Those two things don't usually go together. Eagerly and wait and what's he saying we're doing that for we're going to get back to that in just a minute but it's for the the hope of righteousness by faith you no know, we already enjoy the hope of righteousness by faith you guys know that you're righteous by faith if you know God you know that you've been justified you began your relationship with God by faith as so you have a, a righteous standing before God but there's more there's more to come because we can actually grow in our righteousness, and that's what we've been talking so much about, this sanctification process, this process of becoming a better Christian, of, of having more victory in your life. That's something we look forward in faith too. And then, it says in heaven, there will be nothing but righteousness. So we grow from just having a righteous standing, to growing in our righteousness in our life, to one day in heaven, all that's going to be there is righteousness. That's going to be it. So the question is, how are you going to get the very righteousness of God to go to heaven and be accepted by God. And the obvious answer is, oh, trust in Jesus on the cross and you'll be forgiven. You can go to heaven. We all know that. So the second question is, how do you find the day-by-day ability and resources to grow in that righteousness? And the answer is, trust in Jesus Christ. There's no more. There's no deeper Thing in Christianity to being a great Christian. There's nothing else. And that's why uneducated people for thousands of years have been so godly in their walk. People who could not read the Bible, who were never taught the Bible. Why? Because their righteousness in their life was through faith. And God was faithful. To produce righteous fruit in their life, even when they didn't know any verses in the Bible. But they believed in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Even when their church was wicked. The whole church. And people talk about this all the time. Okay, so for thousands of years, the Catholic Church was the only church. It wasn't like there was little house churches and there was this over here. Up until like the 1400s or whatever, 15, 14, 1500s, you didn't have an option. There was one church, there was one place you could go to get a Bible, to hear anything about the Bible. And that was that church. And yes, it had a lot of problems. The, the political side of it was very corrupt. But God, in His Spirit, was always an ever-faithful, to produce fruit in the lives of people who trusted him. And it never changes and things never change as far as that goes. God produced the fruit. Not man. Not the church. God produced the fruit. And God is still producing fruit the same way today. And I hope we don't become a corrupt church. But we could. But it wouldn't change the faithfulness of God. God he would still be faithful to produce fruit in people who trust in Jesus Christ, just like he still saves those who trust in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, it was always, do this and live. Here's your set of rules, do them and you'll live. Whereas in the New Testament, what we find and what we learn is, Christ did this, so live. Wow. Wow, what a difference. It doesn't depend on anything I do. No. It's total, complete freedom. Christ did this, so you live. Wow. So our verse says here that he's a uh, a debtor to keep the whole law. Oh, he says here that we wait Upon the Lord. Right? Where am I at? I, I lost my place. Every man who becomes strange... For by the law you have fallen from grace. Yeah. I just read 5 and 6, right? Okay. So he says, By the Spirit, we eagerly wait... So that's what that's the part I'm on right now. We eagerly wait eagerly wait again if they that, that doesn't make sense that we eagerly wait how do we wait upon the Lord and furthermore how do we eagerly wait upon the Lord is as Christians does it mean we just sit around all day in fact that's a term that you hear around these days is are, are we just killing time we just killing I mean, I know many days and years in my life I was I wasn't a time killer I was a time murderer. I wasted so much time in my life. So it's not that's not what Christians do. We don't just kill time. Psalm twenty five five says, Let lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation salvation. On you I wait all day. Let me give you a definition for waiting on the Lord. Okay? Waiting on God is not just letting time pass, it's hoping in him. As time passes. Hoping in him as time passes. In fact, many times in the Old Testament, the same word that's translated waiting is also translated hoping. Hoping. So we don't just wait around as Christians. I'm just waiting on the Lord. What did you do today? Watch TV? You did not wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord is hoping. Hoping. Hoping in Him as time passes. Psalm sixty-two five. My soul waits silently for God alone. For my expectation is from Him. So in other words, we, when you're waiting for God, you're hoping in Him and you're hoping for nothing else. You're not looking anywhere else for your salvation. You're not looking anywhere else for your victory. You are looking only to God. God alone is what I want my soul to wait for and rest in. I don't want to wait for me to figure something out. I don't want to wait for a job to come through. I don't want to wait for my boss to realize how awesome I am. I don't want to wait for my spouse to stop stop acting like an idiot. I'm going to wait for God alone. I'm going to hope in God alone. And what that means is there's nothing else but him. Psalm 130, verse 5. All these are verse 5. It's pretty cool. Psalm 130, verse 5. I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits in his word, I hope. So it's not just that you're waiting. And it's not just you're waiting in God alone. You're also in his word. That's a great description and, and, and image of what it means to wait on the Lord. You're hoping in him. You're hoping in Him alone, and you're hoping in Him, and that's being fleshed out in your life by the Word of God. You're spending time in the Word. Titus chapter two verse thirteen says, "Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ." Another thing we wait for is the Rapture, the coming of Jesus. I'm wearing this this bracelet today. This is a brand new one I just got. And it says, watch and wait, uh, the 10. Because this is our event that we're doing here in 11 days. And this is what it's going to be about. We're going to be using scriptures like this. And we're going to be talking about waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord for the day of his coming. And it's going to be this amazing concert and music. And you guys have to check it out. But waiting for the Lord, we're waiting for his coming, waiting for the rapture. If that's a constant thing in your mind, man, i got to be on the move. i got to be praising the Lord. i got to be serving Him because I don't know when He's going to come. That's a great way to wait on the Lord too. And then Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is not, is in heaven, from which we also lead, eagerly wait. Again, there's this term, this, this way that Paul likes to meet, communicate with these words that don't go together. Eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has this thing with putting words together that don't necessarily go together, eagerly waiting, putting all his eggs in this one basket. So what are we waiting for? Whatever God wants to do. Whether it's his coming or for him to do something in our lives, bring us some victory, we're waiting for him. Look at verse 6 here in Galatians 5. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. So labels don't bring anything to pass in your life. Oh, but I'm a, I'm a this type of Christian. I go to this church. I cut my hair this way. I do this. I abstain from this. Those kind of labels never bring anything to pass in your life. Only faith engages us with all the power of Jesus to actually be spiritual people. So faith working through love matters. Faith being worked out through love. Us becoming loving beyond comprehension is the fruit of of, uh, trusting the Lord like this. This will happen. You will become the most loving person. I was having a conversation with you guys Right, right now. We were talking about a person who is so loving that you just can't, believe it it's beyond comprehension and that's fruit of faith so it's not someone's label that shows whether they're a Christian or not it's not someone whether someone does something or doesn't something that shows whether they're a Christian or not it's how much your faith has been turned into love in your life how much your faith has engaged with the power of God which has turned your life into love verse 7 through 9 you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven, leaven is the whole lump. Leaven speaks of sin. And here, legalism is sin. Legalism is always sin. And if you haven't gotten it yet, it's sin. It is not the way God works. It's fighting against God. When he wrote to Corinth and he wrote the book, uh, the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, their leaven, he talked to them about, was sexual sin. Here, it's legalism. But in both ways, it was wrong. And in our church and in the church in general today, you know, it could be something like bad doctrine. You know, it's the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. Where, If you have this idea of grace and you're moving forward with it, you're going to have life. But if you have another way of looking at it, and I know pastors, and I've heard pastors on the radio, not Grace FM, but I've heard pastors on the radio teaching that it's about your efforts. You've got to put the right efforts in. And it's on you. It's dependent on you. And it's false teaching, and it's going to be spiritual death for those people. Verse 10, I have confidence in you. In the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his own judgment, whoever it is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. One thing legalism does it removes the offense of the cross. It says you can produce a lot of this spiritual life by your own efforts. You can do this. You can do it. And that's why it's so dangerous when you have a preacher, a teacher of the Bible, who, is like, who has been influenced by psychological, motivational speakers. Because you have to be so careful that you're not motivating someone's flesh to try harder. When you are in a pulpit and you're teaching the Bible you have a responsibility to share the truth with people and the truth is your flesh is evil and wicked and can do no good thing. But that's not comfortable to share. And it's definitely not comfortable to hear me telling you you can't do anything good. That doesn't make friends. But if I follow it by teaching the truth of grace and all the riches that we just talked about available to you It is good. But it's less offensive to teach someone, if you try hard, you're going to be alright. It encourages people. And there's people who just say, you just need to live your best life now. And it's messed up. And it's false. And they're wrong. So, they have taken away the offense of the cross. They say you can produce a lot of the spiritual life by your own efforts but the cross says and we teach and the Bible teaches you have no hope to be a good person without Jesus being slaughtered on the cross for you. And that's, that can be offensive. What do you mean I have no hope of being a good person? I am a good person. No. You're not. No one is. And we can get offended too. Because of the command and the instruction that we're given that we have to daily go to the cross. Not, oh, I did that that one time, one time in my life. I was so bummed out. I was so low that I came to Jesus and said, okay, I believe. But that's the limit of my connection with him. You are going to get beat down every day and you are going to fall on your face every day until you realize that you are so wicked that you have to be staring at the cross every day to have victory and that's offensive to me that's offensive to my flesh my flesh says no i've been doing good for 20 years i've been no i've known jesus for 20 years now you've got to be kidding me that i that that you think i'm gonna fall in this thing or in that thing but i tell you the minute that i start trusting myself i fall And it's the same thing for each one of us. So, I'm going to read this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, when you guys are familiar with this, it says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And then verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. I feel like when I do the radio show or when I do counseling, I'm telling people over and over and over again the same thing. That the solution to their issue is that Jesus died on the cross. That's the solution. And, the, and for us, spiritual wisdom is being able to apply that phrase and that truth and that event, that work of Jesus dying on the cross, being able to apply it to our life and our friends. And that's what you guys are here for tonight you guys are becoming skilled as you come over and over and we go through this book you're becoming skilled at applying Jesus' death on the cross to your life and to your friend's life that's trusting in grace Jesus died on the cross so he'll give you grace not Jesus died on the cross so try harder those are opposite things back in Galatians chapter 5 verse 12 I wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. We talked about this verse when we were looking at circumcision. This is a pretty funny play on words that Paul uses. Uh, they thought He's saying basically, you think circumcision is so cool? You think trying hard to, to please God is so cool? And it makes you look so good? Well, hey, why don't you just go all the way? Cut off the whole thing. Because he uses the word mutilation here. Instead of circumcision, he uses the word mutilation. And it's a, it's a play on words... And it's kind of funny when you actually look at it. Verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is the biggest thing. Is people say, you preach so much grace. Are you saying, I'm totally free from the law, I can do anything I want? Yes. Only don't use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another improper use of liberty is to indulge selfishness, right? We get to, and we need to, we actually get to trade both legalism and licentiousness for godliness. That's what we trade. We trade in all the law and we trade in all the bad things we do for godliness. That's what we trade. It's not that we get freed from the law, and we just get to sin as much as we want, we're actually being freed from the sin so we can live godliness too. Second Peter chapter 2, I'm just going to read these to you, verses 18 19. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, they allure you through the lust of the flesh. So they're saying there will come people in the church who will tell you, oh, it's okay for you to be a part of these things that are the lusts of the flesh through lewdness and the ones who have actually escaped from these things who live in error. He's saying, the, you guys have escaped from those things. You believe in Jesus, but you're living in error. Verse 19, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption for whom a person is overcome by him. He is also brought into bondage. Meaning, you haven't been made free from the law so that you can sin sin just brings you right back into the bondage of sin you have to be freed from both the law and sin that's what we're freed from both of them so that we can be godly so proper use of liberty it says in our verse verse 13 is to serve one another to in through love serve one another 1 Corinthians 9:19 9, for i for though i am free from all men i have made myself a servant to all that i may win the more so this love this grace makes us servants because or so it's not how can i enjoy my freedom the most go see all these movies and go partake of all this and partake of all that it's not about that you are free and if you did that you would be forgiven but it's not about that it's How can I love the most? How can I love more? How can I lovingly serve? Because, verse 14, For all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what grace produces. It produces fulfillment of the law. Fulfillment of the law. So all that we were trying to do by trying to keep the law is done in our life when we just trust Jesus. And he he then makes us these servant people who love. In verse 15, but if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. When you don't have love, even believers can mess up each other's lives. And I'm sure you guys have experienced that, right? Right? So many people, oh, I've been burned by the church. I like God, it's his followers I can't stand. These statements that you hear, mockingly even, and it's so sad. And Paul says it right here. Yeah, believers can mess up each other's lives because they're not understanding that our freedom from the law doesn't produce fighting, it produces peace which is a fruit of the Spirit, which grows in your life as you trust in Jesus and walk in Him. Okay? We're done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank You. And Lord, we want to wait upon You. Lord, we have no desire to have anything else but You. What You did on the cross and the way You were killed and the the sacrifice that You made, it was enough for me. It was enough for my struggle, for the different lusts that are in my heart. It can fix that. It was enough for my marriage when we struggle and we're, we're butting heads. It is enough to fix that. It's enough for my depression. It's enough for my grief. It's enough for my sorrow and for my failure. It is enough. It is enough for my bills. It's enough for my needs and my food. Jesus, the riches that you pour out upon us are beyond compare. And we will never be able to understand them. Even though you are going to try for millions of years and all of eternity to be explaining to us and demonstrating to us the riches of the glory of your grace, God, we still won't be able to reach the bottom of the depth of your love for us and your power and your resources freely given to us. All that was given to us on the cross, we will never know. But Lord, we can experience and enjoy. And God, I just, I relish and and embrace the freedom and the riches that you freely give me when I just let go and stop trying and just trust you. And ask God, make me a godly husband. Jesus, make me a godly man. Jesus, make me a pastor after your heart. Jesus, make me a father that leads my children to you. Lord, we we embrace you. We look to you and you alone as being our Savior. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.